views expressed on this broadcast of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. Well, welcome everyone to another fine episode of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with your host, Dr. Alan Berger, who is on the phone with me right now. Greetings, Dr. Berger. Well, good evening, Monty, and it's uh, nice to be back with you tonight here on one um, in beautiful Southern California, and you're up in Oregon, aren't you? In, in beautiful Northern Oregon. So what's That's going right. on? What's going on for this show? Well, what we're going to do is, as we were talking to our listeners about in our last show, is I want to focus on what is a healthy relationship. How does a healthy relationship function? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. What are some of the characteristics that would distinguish a healthy relationship from a relationship that is really being... Um, destroyed by this emotional dependency that we've been talking about. So mm-hmm. tonight we're going to focus on the I-to-thou relationship. Uh, this is a term that Martin Buber, a, a philosopher from Hebrew University um, in Jerusalem, talked about. Uh, he's written a book on it. It was There's a couple different translations. And, you know, sometimes when you're reading philosophers, they can be difficult. But what I'm hoping we can do in this show is to break down some of these ideas he has and, and to discuss this, because it's it's so important that we have in our mind, Monty, some kind of a goal in terms of what we're striving for. You know, we're not going to get there, right? and we're not going to be perfect in terms of getting there, but if we strive for this, if we if we try to have a relationship based on these terms that we're going to be talking about tonight, then we're going to be doing a lot of good for ourselves and for the person that we're in a relationship with. Sure. So it's an exciting show. I mean, I'm very, very happy to talk about this, because this is really what emotional sobriety is all about. It's being able to be in relationship with ourself and with others in a balanced way, in a healthy way. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do, let's talk about the effect of emotional dependency. Okay. Right? The thing that Bill talked about, and we've been doing, you know, discussing this a lot in previous shows, but I just want to summarize a few things. First of all, because of our emotional dependency, we became very much focused on uh, other people as sources of approval or disapproval. We tended to make us very vigilant into how people were looking towards us because our self-esteem, our self-worth depended on whether we were being accepted or not by them. Sure. So this was a very, very, this is a powerful thing that turned people into objects not in, in, instead of into being people. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that when we go in that direction, when I start looking at people as sources of approval or disapproval, now they become an it to me, not a person. Because I'm seeing them as what they can do for me. And I'm no longer seeing them as a person. So what this emotional dependency does is it's turned us into an it. We're an object. 
that mm. we're trying to market to the world. And, you know, please accept me. Please mm-hmm. love me. Uh, please help me feel like I belong. That's what we're doing. So we turned ourselves into an object. Mm-hmm. And then we've also, as a, as a consequence of that, we objectify the whole world. Because whatever we do to ourselves is what we're going to do to other people. And see, that's an important concept for people to keep in mind, is that whatever you're doing to yourself is how you're going to treat other people. So the relationship with you have with yourself is going to be very similar to the relationship you have with other people. So we'll get into more about that in a moment. But if I'm objectifying myself, it means I'm going to objectify you. Wow. So I'm seeing myself as an object that I've got to be marketed, and now you are the consumer, and I've got to look at you as, are you going to buy me or not, right? Are you going to purchase me? Are you going to validate me? (laughs) Yeah. Are you going to accept me? So what happens is, relationships no longer are personal. Mm. They are driven by this need for validation. And it shows up a lot in the bedroom, right? What's usually the first thing a guy says after he makes love to a woman? Did you like that? I like that for you. Essentially, he's saying, hey, give me a grade, would you? Yeah. Did I get an A on this or not? Was I all right? Yeah. Oh, we get so focused on orgasm. Did Did you have an orgasm? You know, so what happens is, and why are we so concerned about the person having an orgasm? We want to know, are you satisfied with us? Dr. David Snarch, a brilliant sex therapist, says that that's the, the best way to ruin intimacy, is get so orgasm-focused. Because when we do that, now it's all about the orgasm, and what happens is we miss, we miss each other. We're no longer relating to each other. We're no longer, no longer making love to each other. It's all about reaching this goal. All right, have an orgasm. Let's go. Yeah, it's really animalistic <laughs> yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so what happens is is that we lose that personal connection. It's no longer, there's no intimacy there, Monty. Mm. It's all of this acting and performing and being graded. And so our relationships obviously suffer terribly, not only in the bedroom, but what we say, you know, I love this. This is a quote from my mentor, Dr. Kempler. He used to say, the door to the bedroom opens off the living room. And what he (laughs) meant by that is that everything that we're doing out in the living room, how we live our lives is going to show up in the bedroom. So if we're objectifying ourselves, if we've got to perform to be okay, if we're doing all these things, then that's exactly how we're going to function in the bedroom. Well, you see, now, now, you're, now you're meddling because my, my bedroom door does come off of the living room. <laughs> oh, no, Monty. <laughs> uh, you're going to have a good talk with your wife. When you that's go. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a family program, so we're not going to yeah. talk about but you're right. what we're going to talk about with her. But, yeah. You're, you're right about that. You're right about that. I mean, you know, how I behave in, from, from, the, from, from the time Marcia comes home from work. Because my work is on is on our property, our studios uh, on a building separate, but but we're right there at the house. So when she comes home from work, from the from that time to to the kitchen, to the living room, to the time when we go to bed at night, you better believe it. You're right. In fact, I'll go back so far as to say, in the morning when she says goodbye to me, and she's on her way to work, the way I respond to that can make all the difference in the world in setting up whether we have a successful evening. Yeah, that's right. Now, even take that a step further. 
And now how you relate to yourself, right. if you objectify yourself, you're going to objectify her. If you start to, to relate to yourself as the subject of your mm. life and not as an object, then the relationship with her is going to change tremendously. And see, that's what emotional sobriety is. It's looking at what kind of a relationship we have with ourselves and, um, and being able to start to develop the best possible attitude towards ourselves and others. I talk a lot about this in my new book, The Twelve Hidden Rewards of Making Amends. But let me say a few things about this, because this is something, when I was sitting earlier today thinking about this show, is I, I don't want to set people up for failure. Right. And, and th- this is what I wanted to say to everyone. So what can we do? Because most of us, and I would even venture to say it even stronger, is that all of us have a degree of emotional dependency. None of us are fully matured. None of us have grown mm-hmm. up to the point where, where that isn't a part of our lives. So what do you do? What do you do when you have these things? And what I don't want people to do is to feel ashamed of themselves for that. Because this is who you are right now. You don't have to continue to be that way. You can start to grow up. But the way that we do it, and this was a contribution that was so important in the psychotherapy literature. There was a a Dr. Arnold Beiser um, who wrote an incredible article called, um, um, oh, The Paradoxical Theory of Change. It took me a minute to remember it. (laughs) The Paradoxical Theory of Change. And it is a brilliant, brilliant piece. Um, if people want to find it, it's in a book called In Gestalt Now, or In Gestalt Therapy Now. The editors were Fagan and Shepard, and it was printed uh, or uh, published in 1970. So it's called The Paradoxical Theory of Change. Well, what does he mean by this paradoxical theory of change? Well, the summary of this whole article can be, or, or is as follows, is that we change when we own who we are, not when we try to be something we're not. So let me say that again to our listeners. We change when we own who we are, not when we try to be something we're not. So how, what does that mean in terms of this? Well, in recovery we learn that we change when we admitted our powerlessness. Right. When we own that, then we were able to find a power greater than ourselves. Right. But until we own that, we couldn't do it. That's right. When I owned that I was a liar, I could start to become honest. And, and, and not but until so, and not till then, not until then. Not until then. Yeah. When I owned yeah. I was insecure, I could start to build some security. Security, yeah. See, so so change is paradoxical. See, that's what Bill Wilson and Dr. Bach captured in step one was this paradoxical theory of change. You know, I, I do a lot of lecturing around the country on integrating modern therapy in the 12 steps and helping people understand the therapeutic value of the 12 steps. And this is the ther- one of the therapeutic values of the first step, is it creates this paradoxical change. So the same thing is true here when we're talking with people about this emotional dependency issue. If I am dependent on you and I'm looking for you to validate me, then the way I change that is by owning it. Funny. I need mm. to say, look, right now I realize that what I'm trying to do is to get you to validate me because I'm dependent on your validation to feel okay. 
And in saying that, I start to release myself from the bondage of that. When I own that and start to take responsibility for what I am doing by declaring what's happening, I now start to create a possibility for me to change. So I wanted to tell our listeners that because I don't want them to be out there thinking, well, how do I get from here to there? Mm-hmm. Well, now mm-hmm. I'm trying to help them see you get to here to there by owning what's going on. And if you feel some shame about owning it, then add that to it. Say, you know, I'm ashamed to admit this, but right now I'm very dependent on what you say. Right, right. I sure hope I can get to a place where I'm not, but right now that's how I'm reacting and I know that's not any fair to you because it doesn't leave a lot of room for you. Now, there, there are some thing to say. Let, let me let me let me interject something here. There are people that listen to this show, and I get emails like this quite often, that are real, really. I, I almost I almost don't want to say this because I fall in this category. I have fallen in this category a million times in my life. But I'm going to say the word for lack of a better term, control freaks. Now, somebody told me one time, they said, you're a control freak. And I said, yeah, why should today be unlike any other day? I mean, you know, <laughs> what is your point? Um, uh, but there, there are folks that will take what we say, not just this show, but other shows too, and will try and mold it around uh, and twist it to build their own agenda. You're not saying, you're not suggesting that, that, if I say, I'll give you my example of me, for instance. Let's say I say to Marsha, and I own it. Let's say, you know, honey, I am my self-esteem level is so crappy right now. I hate to admit this, but I'm really depending on some positive affirmation from you, and I own it, and I admit that. Mm-hmm. That's not to 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 give power to the other individual to say, well, I'm not going to say anything nice about you because you need to grow up, right? Well, but but there has to be room. If the other person's honest reaction is to say, look, I appreciate you asking me for what you want. I don't have it for you. Right, right. As long as they're being honest about it. That's fine. If you're authentic, uh, that's your reaction. If you have it and you want to give it to the other person, that's fine as well. But what we're talking about here is that you have to have a choice. And see, that's what the emotional sobriety is about. So if I say that to someone and they don't, validate me and I get pissed off, then mm-hmm. I didn't say it sincerely. Right, right. I was, I was saying it with expectations. What do is get people to say it without making it a rule. Right. <laughs> without making it an unenforceable rule. So in a healthy eye-to-thou relationship, so let's go to that now. And I know we're going to take a break here in a few minutes, but, but let me just say this about it, and then we'll go into this a lot more when we come back from the break, Mike. Okay. In a healthy relationship, in an eye-to-thou relationship, there's room for both of us. Right. There's room for you to be yourself, and there's room for me to be myself. So when I come to you with that and you don't have that positive affirmation to give me, I can accept that or not accept that and say it's hard to accept that, and you can come back and say, well, that's tough, that's just where I'm at, <laughs> and we can be who we are. And be okay with that. And, and, yeah. and maybe be uncomfortable with it, but ultimately know that if we encourage each other to be ourselves, we're giving, we're creating the best possible relationship we can have. If, there, if I can make room for myself... I can make room for you. If you can make room for yourself in your relationship, you can make room for your partner. And that only happens 
when we get to an eye-to-thou relationship, which means that we've let go of all of our rules and expectations for how that other person is supposed to be. Sounds like a good time to break. And that's great stuff. That's great. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, folks, it's the Monty Man. Isn't the Internet great? Listen, now you can take Take 12 Recovery Radio on the go anywhere you go simply by visiting us and subscribing to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. The easiest way to get there is visit our website at Take12Radio.com and click on any of those main platforms and subscribe to Take 12 Recovery Radio. All right, let's rejoin this conversation with Dr. Berger and myself on the topic of the I-to-thou relationship. So we're talking about the I-to-thou relationship with Dr. Berger uh, on this show, The Model for Healthy Relationships. And there isn't any of us that couldn't use some polishing up on our relationships with each other. So we're using this eye-to-thou as a model, and let me explain what this eye-to-thou relationship is. I think our, our audience is getting some hits. So in my emotional immaturity, mm. my relationships become an it to an it. I'm an it relating to you as an it, so they're not personal. An eye-to-thou relationship is a very personal relationship is that I am meeting you and seeing you and enjoying you. I'm going to read a line from Martin Buber that's in my book. It's on page 161 of 12 Hidden Rewards. This is how Buber describes it. Now, remember, he's a philosopher, so they say things sometimes in these very, very convoluted ways. But what page we'll is this again? Things, but let me read it. What page is this again, this, Dr. Berger? This is on 161. 161, okay. 12 Hidden Rewards, right? Got it. So in the second paragraph, I start out by saying, so what does it mean to say that a relationship has this unique quality? Well, Buber described it in this way. When I confront a human being as my you and speak the basic word I dash you to him, then he is no thing among things, nor does he consist of things. When I confront a human being as my you and speak the basic word I you to him, then he is no thing among things, nor does he consist of things. So what Uber is saying is, is that I'm no longer looking at that person as an object. I am now interacting with that person as another person. I'm seeing who they are. I'm experiencing them and their essence and their spirit. I'm not imposing on them who I want them to be. I'm able to experience them as they are. Wow. That is good. It's a very, very powerful thing. And you see, that's what creates a great relationship is when there's room for me and room for you. There's a book I've been wanting to write for a long time called Room Enough for Two. And, and <laughs> that's the hallmark of, of, uh, of a healthy relationship. Sure. There's room enough for both of us. So, so if we have a difference, I don't try to change your mind about how you feel or how you think or how you see something or how you've experienced it. I can just experience or embrace what you've experienced and it doesn't have to change my experience of it. 
that rarely happens in relationships. So I get yeah. a lot of couples in my office, and and one guy, you know, the the gal might be saying something. Well, you know, when when you were talking to me the other night, I really felt like that uh, you were putting me down. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you said to me that, hey, you know, it's you know, I think you're spending way too much time with our kids, and you're not giving me enough attention. That I, I feel like you're not respecting the fact that of what I have to do with the kids, and that you don't somehow see all that they need. So that's what she would be saying to him. Well, most guys will come back and say, "That's not what I said. This is what I was saying. I don't know what you're talking about. I was just saying that I want to spend more time with you. I miss you." But right, he, right. So what? When he comes back and does that, he's not hearing that she took it that way. That's her experience. His experience may be different. So if he was healthy, he would just say, wow, my experience in saying that, I was, I was not that she's wrong. See, that's the problem, is that when he starts out and say, that's not, that's not right, that's not what, what I was saying, this is what I was saying, then what he's doing is he's discounting her experience. Right. So that's, that's so respecting our differences would sound very different. It would sound like, wow, I'm hearing how you took that, and I hear that that's terrible, you know, that you felt that way. Let me tell you what, what what I was experiencing, what I was saying to you. And then we can try to talk about how we missed each other on this thing. Instead of making the other person wrong, see that there's room enough for both people. So one of the hallmarks of this I-to-thou relationship is that there is a mutual respect. There's not a demand that says, you've got to think about this the way I think about it. You've got to feel about this the way I feel about this. You've got to care about this the way I care about this. See, that's the problem with the emotional dependency. The emotional dependency wants to make everybody just like us so that they feel the way we feel, they think the way we feel, they care the way we want them to care, and that's there's no room for another person when we're doing that. Right. right, and so and so we 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 feel like in order to be okay with ourselves, we don't like to admit this, but if we really, if we're paying attention to what you've been saying all the through all these shows that we've done, uh, what we're doing is we're not okay with ourselves unless what's important to me is important to you. And you know it's right. wonderful when it when it matches up and 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 it's important to you. Um, and it's important to me, but sometimes it just doesn't, and we need to learn to be okay with that and not be right. devastated. Right, and I'm, I'm telling people how to do that. It's something yeah. they've got to own that they're not okay with it in order to get okay with it. But let me read a little bit more from, yeah, this, please. from this book. So we're going to pick up on page um, 161, again, in the middle of the third paragraph. I go, this type of a connection is personal, very personal. It is not colored by what should be or what is supposed to be. When we meet and make contact on these terms, in this intimate way, we are relating to each other as subjects of our conversation rather than as objects. We do not have an ulterior motive. Mm. Our only purpose is to make contact. We are not trying to manipulate the person to validate us. We are not trying to regulate them to soothe our anxiety or try to manipulate them for support. We don't need to because we can support ourselves. We are simply present with them and with the experience we are having together. We are open to whatever happens, and we don't have an agenda or goal. Buber elaborates on this point. He says, the purpose of relationship is relationship itself. It's 
touching the you. For as soon as we touch a you, we are touched by a breath of eternal life. Mm. Wow. This kind of an experience in a relationship is like touching God, Lonnie. Yeah. See, this is this is where a relationship becomes a very spiritual experience. When we can join someone in this manner, we are now opening up the possibility of having a spiritual experience with our partner, of really being touched by this breath of eternal life. And that's what it's like to be touched by God. Yeah, uh, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And and, and I, I love what it, the next paragraph says. It says, Dr. Kempler uh, used to say, to be more personal, we have to stop taking our partner's behavior personally. That's right. I, w- I would love to have a bumper sticker like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we should make some, man. And, yeah. And, uh, maybe I'll make some, and then we'll let have our listeners write in, and we'll uh, send them one. Yeah, because that is, golly, that is just, it is so right on. I mean, I think, and you know, ever since we've been having this dialogue, um, uh, you know, and if people are listening and they're and they're coming back each time that we uh, update a show, uh, they won't be able to uh, ignore. Just like I haven't been able to ignore, I see this stuff now. I'm 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 hearing it more in people. And in fact, the other day I, I was reading a post of one of my sponsees, and I says, perhaps you should come over and we should listen to. One of the episodes on step by step towards emotional sobriety, <laughs> because I saw what was happening, and and of course, you know, one of the things we learn to do in recovery is to see that stuff on ourselves when it's applicable, and uh, this just this is just marvelous, marvelous stuff, Doctor Berger. Yeah, no, it's it's really helpful, and I and I know a lot of our listeners are appreciating this, and that's great. I mean, that's what we're doing this show for is to pass on some of this stuff. That's been passed on to us, money. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. So, let, so let me go into this a little bit more in yeah. terms of talking about what what happens if we do this, and and later on in that chapter, and and, and you know, I'm hoping that if you haven't um, picked up a copy of my book yet, please do so. In fact, until the end of this year, Hazelton is uh, having a special promotion. If you buy all three of my books, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Booze and Drugs Are Gone, and my new book, The 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends, that you can get 20% off. And all you have to do is type in the promo code BURGER20. So please pick this up because people are reading this and just saying that it's been a very, very uh, helpful resource in their recovery. So this is what, later on in the chapter, on page 166, Doctor, I talk about Dr. Greenwald, who is a Gestalt therapist. Everybody knows by now I'm a Gestalt therapist. Right. I just love how, how Gestalt people that are Gestalt therapists think about life and think about relationships. So this is what he says about what are the benefits, right? What is mm-hmm. the reward that comes from having this eye-to-thou relationship? And, and because this came out of the book 12 Hidden Rewards, I claim that when we go to make amends, we are creating the possibility of eye-to-thou relationships with mm. other people. So this is what he says. He says, good contact with our intimate self, right, with our, right. our, and with our intimate other, and that's with whether it's God or whether it's with a person we love, provides an enormous energy 
with which to relate to our world in a most satisfying, most meaningful and creative fashion. It provides us with the ability to experience great joy and excitement because of the limitless potential for self-discovery and growth and the increasing ability to function in the world. This is the optimal condition for, for fulfillment of ourself and for living a meaningful, nourishing life. Mm. So that's what happens is when we start to make contact this way, is we do get filled. We do get everything that we need because the, the richness of the kind of contact that we're making. Whether we get our need met or not, the contact that we make with this person is, is such a nourishing contact that it's really, it really propels us um, in such a good direction in our life. That's why people, when they find God, right, and they've never had a higher power in their life, money, mm-hmm. and they are just filled with this new energy, right. these new possibilities. When we have a healthy relationship, it's incredibly inspiring. It makes you want to be the best possible version of yourself that you can be. And in a healthy relationship, it does help us move in that direction, and especially when there's frustrations. You know, I tell people all the time, Just because there's trouble in your relationship, it doesn't mean something's wrong. Relationships are designed to create trouble. Right. Trouble grows people. Relationships are people growers. I mean, that's the bottom line. But we have to learn how to meet that trouble, how Mm -hmm. to digest it, how to chew it up so that we take from it the important lessons in our life. You know, it's the 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 trips to Disneyland and the campouts and the 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 whitewater rafting trips and the you know all these wonderful things are wonderful in families, but it's those crisis times that really, if if done gone through properly, really bond people. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, it's truly true, and it really. You know, it's it's kind of the grinding. I call it the grinding that takes place. That's what refi- refines people. It's like the pressure, right, that the coal receives uh, underground turns it into a diamond. It's the same kind of thing that happens in relationships. Our grinding helps us become the best person we can be. And when I said, how do we turn that trouble into something that becomes nourishing? It's by looking at ourselves not blaming the other person for what they're not doing, but looking at ourselves to see what this means about us and what does what do we have to do to hold on to ourselves. You s- that's going to be the topic of our next show <coughs> next in two weeks. We're doing this every other week. How, how to hold on to we, yourself? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about how do we hold on to ourselves. What are some of the tips that that I can give our listeners? so that they can start adding more self when they're in trouble in a relationship. And see, that's what we're talking about, is that when you're in trouble, the solution becomes adding more self. And we'll, in our next show, our listeners are going to learn all about what that means. You said something uh, at the last show, that, and I, and I forgot to bring this up, but it made me think of the struggle that, uh, that, that takes place when a baby chick is hatching from from an egg, and, and, and you, I know you've heard this example. Maybe some of our listeners have too. But I'm always fascinated by it. I mean, uh, there's something about the struggle that brings forth life. 
And when somebody breaks that egg open for that chick, it'll die. Yeah. It's got to go through that stuff. Well, uh, another great show, Dr. Berger. I'm excited about uh, our next show, How Do We Hold On to Ourselves. Um, it, it really is true. It, 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 if you've got low self-esteem, you're not going to esteem anybody else, right? <laughs> yeah. You're going sure to try to get people to esteem you. Right. See, that, that's the that, problem. That, that, is that with our low self-esteem then we're going to want the world to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, the links to Dr. Berger's website, his email is right here at tape12radio.com. Well, thank you, Dr. Berger, once again. Well, Monty, it's always great doing a show with you. I love you. All right, folks, don't forget our email address, take12radio at comcast.net. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Dr. Alan Berger, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.